Hi, everybody. Welcome to Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford. He is the one and only Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. And Wes, as we head towards the middle of the week, the Packers have two games left in this 2018 season, heading to East Rutherford, New Jersey this coming weekend to take on the Jets. A lot of talk, a lot of questions swirling around just how are the Packers going to play these last two games because there are no playoff hopes at stake. There will presumably be a new coaching staff next year in some way, shape, or form. So does that mean Aaron Rodgers still plays or does he rest or do some of these other guys with you know the big contracts and getting paid the big money, all that kind of stuff, do they play? Do you sit them? Joe Philbin addressed the media on Monday and basically said, hey, this is professional football. It's all about taking a professional approach and finishing the season as pros because that's what we signed up to do. Now, health and all of that, if there are injury issues involved, that changes the equation. But it sounds like, from what Joe Philbin said, the players who are healthy are going to play these last two games. Inside the Packers locker room on Monday, I thought David Bakhtiari had the quote of the day, quote of the hour, uh, when he said when he signed his contract back in 2016 now, he didn't sign it to play until you're eliminated from the playoffs, you know, 12, 14 games, whatever it might be. It's play for 16 games. Now, obviously there are existential circumstances that sometimes can knock a player out from doing that, but it's his full as he said, for everybody on this roster, it should be his full intention to, to play the string out. Now, there's a lot for the Packers to digest this week, and I'm sure a lot of this will be you know kind of hashed out during their Tuesday and Wednesday meetings with the coaching staff to figure out, okay, who's going to be on the up list? Who do you want to play? You have Kenny Clark dealing with the elbow injury, Brian Balaga and his knee, uh, you know, uh, Aaron Rodgers, as we talked about, the, the, the list of things that he's worked through this season to, to start in all 14 games. It's a position the Packers haven't been in before. Philbin talked about it. Mike McCarthy talked about it before he, you know, was um, let go. So I don't know what the right answer is. My personal opinion of it is if Rodgers is good enough to play, to play him. Yep. Because you look to what happened last year. They were in the same exact position after week 15. They were eliminated from the playoffs. Aaron Rodgers, you know, Dr. Pat McKenzie, they all knew the story with him. They knew whether or not it was good enough, if he should be out there if the games don't matter, and they acted accordingly. This is completely up to Rodgers. It's completely up to the training staff to know what his body's like right now and whether or not he should be out there. But if he is healthy enough to go, I think there's a huge benefit for the young receivers on this roster, the young players on this roster, to still have him out on the field. Yeah, I think the one caveat that you throw into the situation with Rodgers is that he did say after the Bears game, and you could see it on a couple of scrambles, that uh, he wasn't running completely full speed. He said his groin tightened up on him a little bit, so he was trying to manage that and play through the game. We didn't really get an update on where things stand with that groin injury on Monday. And as you know, Wes, sometimes with these injuries, the day or two after the game, they can actually feel worse than they were during the game. So that would be the one thing I would say. If, if, uh, if this is a more significant groin pull or strain or whatever you want to call it, then maybe met the eye on Sunday afternoon in Chicago when the season was still on the line. I could see the Packers certainly being very careful here. Um, but we just have to wait and see. Wednesday will be the first practice of the week like it always is. We'll see what the injury report says. But, uh, but I'm with you. If Aaron Rodgers is healthy, he should play. And, uh, um, and then, you know, you react accordingly as far as other guys – 
you know, do you want to see more snaps from the Jake Kumaros and the Robert Tanyans of the world, guys who potentially could be in the lineup next year with Aaron Rodgers in more significant roles if they can make progress, make the roster again, that kind of thing. And again, I don't think the Packers go like all preseason mode. You're certainly not going to sit Devontae Adams when right. he's on the verge of breaking, potentially breaking a couple of franchise records here. But you could see the offense and defense for that matter, but but speaking about the offense with Rodgers right now, you could see them trying to use these last couple of games to uh, to develop maybe a little bit of that chemistry that can take some time uh, with younger players. Yeah, and I even think about, too, like your Jamon Moores, guys who haven't sure. played much at all this season but have been on the roster this entire way uh, to potentially get some more looks. The biggest thing to me, I think it's ultimately going to be the the indicator of who plays specifically with those receiving cores. You know, Randall Cobb, you know, currently going through the concussion yeah, protocol. Yeah, he's in the protocol now. So. so, you know, if he's unable to go, depending on how everything works out or what the severity of it is, you know, that is where, you know, more Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Equinemia St. Brown, they're thrust back into the limelight there. I, I really, from a historical perspective someone that's appreciative of history I'd love to see Rodgers play these last two games because you see what Devontae Adams has done through 14 games have 100 catches over 1300 yards 12 touchdowns uh, well on his way right now as it stands to breaking that franchise record for single season receptions currently held by Sterling Sharp at 112 so you know a couple solid performances there you know the thing that's intriguing about Adams is he's done it with anybody you know he, he was successful with Brett Hundley you know, he, he's he's uh, versatile enough that his skill set applies to anybody. But at the same time, to see Rodgers and having your number one quarterback be able to go to the distance with you, I think that'd be kind of cool. Yeah, I totally agree with you there. And uh, um, as far as the defensive side of the ball goes, you know, the Packers went into this game in Chicago on Sunday. Mike Daniels was already on injured reserve. And then it was determined Kenny Clark would be inactive and yeah. unable to go. I'll... I'll tell you, Wes, when I saw that 90 minutes before kickoff, my heart sunk a little bit because I just I wasn't sure how the Packers would be able to hold up against that Bears running game mm -hmm. with Howard and Cohen and everything they like to do up front. But um, I tell you what, hats off to some of these young guys. And uh, I'll say Dean Lowry first because he was kind of the veteran in that defensive line group. But these younger guys who now got thrust into much, much bigger roles, and I'm talking about Tyler Lancaster, Fidel Brown, um, Montravius Adams, they uh, for the Bears did not control the game with their ground game, and I think that's a credit to these young defensive linemen who re who really stepped up and showed what they're made of. I want to start with Dean Lowry uh, because I think one of the re he's such a easygoing, straightforward personality type. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that he doesn't get a lot of attention, especially this year when they brought in Muhammad Wilkerson, you have Mike Daniels, and Kenny Clark's coming to his own. But you got to remember back to September, Mike. D Dean Lowry wasn't playing much at all uh, with how that rotation was going. How right, much they were Wilkerson, keeping yeah, Wilkerson, Wilkerson and Clark there. both on the field. Mm -hmm. I want to say Dean Lowry is playing somewhere around thirty percent of the defensive snaps, like through the first four games or first three games going into Washington. What he did. Down the stretch here, he's again come on again like he did last year in the month of December. I believe has three sacks now on the season. Played 53 of the 60 defensive snaps against, um, you know, the Bears in this contest. Being the guy that you know played at Northern Illinois or uh, Northwestern had been from Illinois. Right. You have to imagine that was kind of special. I know he had a lot of friends and family there. Uh, yes, you're right. There are some really young, talented guys that stepped up, but 
I thought that started with Dean Lowry. He didn't get very – he had seven breathers the entire game. Uh, and for him to go the distance playing over 80% of the defensive snaps, I thought said a lot about him. And then you look at what Tyler Lancaster has done, his fellow Northwestern alumnus. Uh, this guy, considering he was a practice squad guy, I know you and I both talked about it during the offseason. We felt like he was one of the gems of that undrafted class. But yeah. the fact of the matter was he did start the season on the practice squad. For him to have to be basically an every-down nose tackle for them in that game specifically without Kenny Clark and ended up with a career-high seven tackles, I think that said a lot about him, too, and what they were able to do against that Bears running game. Yeah, I broke down uh, a lot of the film on defense, and for those who want to check out a handful of plays, my What You Might Have Missed feature is um, up on our website. I highlighted about a half a dozen plays involving Lancaster and Montrevious Adams, some of which I saw during the game, but others that stood out to me later, one particularly with, uh, with Adams, um, if you remember the uh, the shovel pass to Trey Burton where he only got about five yards, I believe it was on first and ten. If you look at that on film, Montrevious Adams is at he he starts to get shoved the wrong way. He spins out of the block and then is able to come back around and tackle Burton when he probably gets at least nine or ten yards on that play because uh, because Adams ended up being the first guy to get him there. So it's things like that. Now, granted, you know a player like Montrevious Adams needs to take a play like that. And do it all the time. Right. That's how you become a Kenny Clark or a Mike Daniels and and take your game to the next level. But when you see that stuff on film from a young player, it's really, really encouraging. And what I liked in terms of uh, Tyler Lancaster, I tell you what, I know he's not much of a pass rusher. But boy, against the run, especially playing the nose like right on the center, he has a he has a way to just stick out that left arm and keep that separation so that he can see the ball and then you know and then make the move to get off the block. That's that's really impressive, especially for especially for a young guy, as you said, he was undrafted, started the season on the practice squad. This is a guy who's really who's really, really come along, and I think he's got a chance to uh, to be a, a future mainstay on that defensive line for Green Bay. What's been my nickname for him since he got here? Going back to the spring, do you remember? I don't remember. The Juggernaut The juggernaut. Has been what I've called him. I mean, just the way that he's built, uh, the way he plays the position. You know, there, there's two types of players, I've always said this, that I think are draftable type players but you often see leaking into college free agency they're your your four-year starting guards because everybody's chasing the tackles and everybody likes their centers right but the guards sometimes will slip through the cracks I think that's how you see a guy like Lane Taylor succeed the way he has in Green Bay there's no question in my mind Lane Taylor should have been among the 61 whatever it was offensive lineman taken in that draft he wasn't yeah and I think it's nose like run defending nose tackles the league for whatever reason and I get it. It's not. It's not an attractive pick. You don't draft a, a nose tackle. You know that that is you know run base and go. Yeah, that's what our fan base is going to rally around. I yeah, get that. Yeah. But and the more I watch Tyler Lancaster, the more I think it's a travesty he didn't get drafted. Just because I, I'm not saying I'm not trying to make him out that he's going to be the next Reggie White or anything. But I just he looks the part. He's intelligent and he's powerful. Yeah. And I, I don't think people can fully appreciate how difficult it is for an undrafted rookie to be able to get off blocks and get arm separation from starting NFL guards and interior linemen yeah. in this league. It's not easy. Right. And when you look at the the path that they've had the last couple of weeks and some of the interior linemen they've seen, Alex Mack a week ago with Atlanta, um, there are some really talented guys out there. And for, for Lancaster 
to step up into that role without Kenny Clark. You know, we're going to have to see what this defensive front looks like next year, yeah. who's going to be back. But, I mean, you know Clark and Lowry are going to be, again, one of your centerpieces. I just think that Lancaster, what he's shown during this last you know half of the season, proves that he should be thought about in that rotation. Yeah, I think, I think the fact that he wasn't drafted really doesn't necessarily so much speak to him as to what all the scouts and everybody are after, which is, right. which is pass rushers and the ability to get after the passer. And Lancaster hasn't gotten his game to that point yet where he's a consistent pass rusher. But you said it, Wes, he's powerful, which means that opportunity is there for him to add that to his game as he continues to, to grow into a very big, strong, and powerful body. And I'll point out as well, with Fadol Brown, I know you mentioned yesterday the play that he made on the third and short run with uh, the number three running back for the Bears. When I looked at that on film, he actually kind of caught a break there because they kind of forgot to block him. <laughs> but what I didn't, what I what I had neglected to see, and one of our insider inbox readers pointed this out, is on the Wildcat shotgun play that uh, where Cohen fumbled the exchange with Howard. Brown actually splits two guys. Yeah. And is the one who I think kind of startled Cohen. And that's what, so it doesn't go down as a forced fumble for number 98 there for a young defensive lineman. But in essence, he forced that fumble. You combine that with the stop that he made on the fake punt and everything. Another young defensive lineman who's saying, kind of raising his hand and saying, hey, I want to stick around here for a while. You know, make sure you take a look at me too. I don't get, I I don't want to, I'm not trying to be controversial here, but like, I I was going to say, I don't get why the Raiders released him, but I mean, there's a lot of moves there. I don't quite understand that the Raiders have made. I didn't want to make too big of a joke out of that, but uh, Brown is a young guy and he's lengthy. Uh, I was at, I was talking to Dean Lowry about him after the game and just what sort of stuck out to him. Now, he couldn't comment specifically on Brown's game because they're basically playing two opposite positions when they're in their base front. Yeah. But he said the thing that stuck, stood out to him in the first two practice weeks that he's been in Green Bay is his twitch. Uh, he has some good twitch to him, and he has some pretty long arms. So uh, when you're able to get that kind of jump and you're able to be able to to keep defend or offensive linemen off of you, good things are going to happen. So uh, he's another young man too that you know when you get these expanded rosters for these teams that aren't in the playoff hunt that you start seeing guys go on IR a little bit more. One of the things that a byproduct of all of that is that you start to see some of these young guys that, hey, you might want to take a look at this offseason. Well, you're getting a chance to get some snaps on them right now. And I thought for what that for what you said originally, for where your your gut kind of dropped a little bit when you saw that Kenny Clark was out. Yeah. Three point three yards per carry, not making life easier on them. The bigger plays Cohen made were as a pass catcher and as a returner. Yeah. As far as the run game was concerned, the Packers were pretty stout. I really thought I really thought the Packers only had two bad plays against the run that entire game. The nine yard touchdown run by Howard. Yep, uh, you know, right up the middle and that was way too easy. And then um towards I believe it was towards the end of the first half, Cohen busted a twenty two yeah. yard, twenty plus yard run. Other than those two, I mean, the other 18 or 19, however many carries it was that that Cohen and, and Howard combined for, I, th- I thought the Packers held up really well. And if you had said that to me, you know, at kickoff, knowing that Daniels is out and then Clark 90 minutes before kickoff was announced as, as inactive, I would have thought uh, the defense against the run would have had a much tougher day. So I tip my hat to him. I want to mention one more thing, Michael, before we move on from the defensive front. We're talking to Kenny Clark in the locker room on Monday 
you know, he was asked about what the prognosis is going to be for him with that elbow injury, if he'll be able to come back. He feels like he's good to come back, but the training staff, the doctors, exercising some caution there because of the risk of him possibly re-injuring it. We're going to have to see how these next two weeks plays out. He did not disqualify himself from potentially playing again this season. But a part of me, it, 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 it kind of sucks to see that because yeah. 55 tackles, six sacks, three pass deflections at his position, playing 82% of the snaps or whatever it was going into Sunday – Later tonight, on Tuesday, as the time we're taping this, we're going to get the Pro Bowl announcements. I don't know whether or not Kenny Clark's going to be a part of that, but he really deserves it. Yeah. Uh, for a nose tackle, he's not Aaron Donald. I'm not trying to you know put him in that same category. There's levels to this game. I get it. He's still only 23. He has some room to grow yet. But for what he did for this defense this year, I don't think there's any way you can make an argument that he isn't the defensive player or the defensive MVP for this team this season. How consistent yeah. he was, how think, accountable he was, and how durable he was. It's incredible what Kenny Clark put on film this season. I think there's no question about that. I think he's been the best defensive player the uh, the Packers have had in 2018. Uh, quickly, before I forget, Packers fans, be sure to stop in at your local Quick Trip and pick up your Packers Cup today, 89-cent refills on your Cafe Karuba coffee all season long. All right, Wes, we ended yesterday's show talking a little bit about that Monday night game, mm -hmm. Saints and Panthers, it ends up a 12-9 victory for the New Orleans Saints. But <laughs> Just a, like we predicted. <laughs> but, a, but a final score that didn't really indicate no. what kind of game it was because both of these teams were moving the ball right. and getting in scoring position and having opportunities to score, and then they kept turning the ball over, so the score, the score of the game stayed low. You end up... The, the Panthers end up getting two points by running an interception back for two on when the Saints were going for two. Just a weird game the way it played out. But the bottom line is the New Orleans Saints are absolutely in the driver's seat in the NFC now. You, you can't put any style points on it, <laughs> but you're on the road. You're taking on a team that has Christian McCaffrey. You know how explosive that offense can be when, oh, Cam when it's Newton going. And yeah, no doubt. You take the wins that you can get them. I, I tell you what, though, the one thing that this game taught me, um, and, and I, I don't, you know, Sean Payton, they've gotten their team to where they need to get to. They don't need Wes Hotkowitz's help. But, <laughs> but as they look to build now some momentum for the playoffs, and I'm sure trying to get their offense a little bit more on track in terms of ex their explosiveness, I just think Alvin Kamara is a guy that should be touching the ball 25 times a game at this point. I just I think he is their biggest playmaker. I know they have some good ones. Michael Thomas is excellent. Uh, Mark Ingram's a great counterpunch, but Alvin Kamara is special. And I know he was a guy that you looked at in the draft over a year ago now. But mm -hmm. I just when I see him play and when he touches the ball, it's like Buzz Williams always used to talk about paint touches, right at Marquette. Yeah. If yeah. you get the ball in the paint, the percentage of what what you can do and where your points are going to be scored increases exponentially. I think Kamara's the same way. If you get him the ball three or four times a series, good things are going to happen. It's going to be tough now for the NFC. Uh, and I'll tell you what, just from a pure football standpoint, I would, I honestly would love to see the the Bears and that defense match up with the Saints. At some point in the postseason, put that I think, thing in the Superdome. Yep, I, I think that be would be the. I think that would be the playoff matchup in the NFC that people would like to see that that hasn't been seen yet. I mean, I, I think the Rams and the Saints certainly have an opportunity to meet in the postseason. We did see that in the regular season, and it turned into quite the shootout game it did. at the Superdome. So maybe maybe there's a rematch. Uh, maybe there's a rematch there involved as well. But I'll say this about the Saints. With the type of team they have, you go on the road on Monday Night Football against a team that's playing that – its season is basically on the line because the Panthers needed to get back to seven and seven right. to stay in this thing. To come out of there with a victory and win it twelve to nine in a somewhat unconventional way 
when teams like that late in the season, Wes, when they start finding ways to win games in different ways that maybe you don't think they would win that way. The stat was put up, I believe, at the end of the game that it's the first time the New Orleans Saints have won a game with 12 points or less on the board yeah. since 1998. Incredible. It's been 20 years since they've done that. That's the kind of thing that jumps out to me as a sign like, okay, look out now because, because these guys don't have to win a game just one way with just a certain style. They can play their way. They can play your way. And they can beat you. I, I'm gr- glad you brought up that point as we close the show here because was as good as their offenses and as good as some of those Packers offenses were over the years, what did Dom Capers always say? It was stopping the run. The, the Saints defense is not perfect, but the fact that they are leading the league right now in, in uh, opposing run offense, uh, holding right now 79.1 yards <laughs> per game, yeah. that's uh, four points better than the Bears in number two right now. That's what gives you a chance because if you disrupt teams' run patterns – and you get them into a shootout situation, I like your chances with Drew Brees at quarterback. And to me, since 2009, this is the most perfect team that they've had. Mm-hmm. You're always chasing perfection. You're never going to achieve well, it. But it's it's a really intriguing group of guys. Yeah, and I said it last year. I take nothing away from the Eagles and what they accomplished. But I thought in the postseason last year, I thought the Saints were the best team. Yeah. And I thought they were going to win the whole thing. And I think they would have if not for the Minneapolis miracle. And all they've done is pick up where they left off uh, because I think they've been the best team in the NFC, if not the entire NFL, all year this year at just the way I felt about them last January. There's been nothing that's changed my mind. No. I mean, they're special, and it's going to be fun to watch here, see what they can do. All they right. got to get it done, though. I mean, that's the other thing, that's, too. With yeah. the resources they've invested into this year's team, there is some pressure there to win this thing. Yeah, absolutely. With that, we'll call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team on Packers.com, on Twitter, at Wes Hod, at Mike Spofford, at Packers for the team account. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. See you next time.